sex, desire, and autonomy drip from the pages of our guest author, Alyssa Songseride's debut novel, Little Rabbit. We explore this body of work as she reveals to us how she longed to bring forth a novel where female characters allow themselves to be pulled under by their desire without being damaged by their male love interest. A 30-year-old queer and burgeoning writer begins to unearth the many aspects of her sexuality when she becomes involved in a sexual relationship with a choreographer in his 50s. This awakening collides with resistance from her roommate's expectations and questions of loyalty and friendship with Rabbit's newly drawn boundaries. Stay with us for more on the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we are joined by the wonderful Alyssa Songsiraday. Uh, Alyssa is an editor at Electric Literature. Her fiction has appeared in Story Quarterly, The Indiana Review, The Offing, and Columbia, a journal of literature and art, and has been supported by Yado the U-Cross Foundation, the Ragdale Foundation, the Vermont Studio Center, the VCCA, and the Massachusetts Cultural Council. Little Rabbit is her first novel, a National Book Foundation, five under, five, under 35 honoree, and she lives in Philadelphia. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me. Great. Well, we're so happy to have you here. This is an honor um, to be speaking with a, a five under 35. Yes. Thanks. Yeah, I'm barely, barely under 35. So. It still counts. Yeah. We, 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 we don't care. I'm also barely making it under 35. So I know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was very thrilled to hear that someone that under some category I'm still considered young because I'm very old. <laughs> so <laughs> that was kind of a relief. <laughs> One more year being young. <laughs> well, we are going to jump off this conversation uh, with some um, hot seat questions, which were they're based off of a, a tweet that you had put out a <laughs> while ago, asking if Lasix was a scam and you took a poll oh I was asking about um Invisalign not Lasix oh Invisalign not Lasix it's a conversation I had earlier today (laughs) no one responded to that I I needed real (laughs) advice (laughs) yes Invisalign we we saw your tweet about Invisalign (laughs) it was a scam so we crafted these questions to kind of fit along lines (laughs) of that so we want you to tell us is it a scam yes or no and and why and why oh okay oh geez all right so is is wordle a scam no because i've played it and it is fun if frustrating although maybe the new york times version is more of a scam i don't really know i kind of <laughs> <laughs> since they moved over but <laughs> 
Um, it's cooking for yourself a scam, asking for a friend. <laughs> I think it is a scam, but I enjoy doing it. I do it frequently. <laughs> I actually just did it the other day <laughs> and had a great time doing it. I mean, it's definitely, a, 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 it can feel like a pain in the butt, but I like to think of it as like a date with myself. So I get like, like I pop a drink, I, I put on a podcast, so I have a great time. <laughs> Also, I know I need to go to your house is what you say <laughs> exactly oh but then I'm not cooking for myself I'm cooking for someone else which is an entire di- entirely different scenario then it's hopefully a better hopefully better than just <laughs> um are beauty facial masks a scam like the like you know because now we're all putting on the the facial masks or because we think it might just be genetics yeah Jeez, so, so I'm going to reveal myself as being someone who loves scams because I do think they are a scam. I, I think you can just put the goop on your face and that is probably good enough. I don't think you need the sheet thing to like, like cement it in. But I also frequently like to use them. I enjoy them. Sometimes, you know, a ten, like, a, like a $10 scam is worth it if it's relaxing and it feels good <laughs> to do, you know. Do we buy them? Yes. Do I have an, an over uh, like capacity of like masks in my drawer? Yes. <laughs> um, do I use them frequently? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's cooling on the face. It's really nice. And you get to scare people and take a, take Instagram photos. Like, I don't know. It might, it might not do anything really in the long run. But <laughs> it's not hurting anyone. <laughs> it's grammar a scam. I think it's a scam. It's too complicated. There's, <laughs> I say this is someone who has to copy edit very frequently, but that there are just like so many different rules. <laughs> there are so many. Yeah, so many exceptions. There's just so many exceptions. Again, asking for a friend, is Boston a scam? Yeah, I think Boston's a scam. <laughs> what are you hesitating about? <laughs> that was also based on a a tweet that you had had out where it was like that you were going to that you were going to boston if you were excited question mark going to boston question mark so i had to ask yeah (laughs) i was excited to go back to boston and it was confusing because when i when i lived in boston i didn't really like it for school I went there for my partner was in grad school slash is is still in grad school because he's getting a PhD and that takes a thousand years, but he doesn't have to be there anymore. So we moved back to Philly. Um, yeah, but I mean, Boston's like very expensive <laughs> and not cool. <laughs> like I was like very confused about why I was paying so much to live in a place that didn't feel very cool. <laughs> 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 Like you kind of understand like with New York it's really expensive but there's like the it's like it's New York there's like the whole like thing to it whereas with Boston I was just like what is going on <laughs> it's a scam where are you originally from are you from Philadelphia or New York or um I'm from Iowa actually I grew up in Des Moines Iowa um where my, my mother got a job there it's that's that's where we ended up um, and then I went to college in Philly and like lived and went to grad school in Philly and lived in Philly for like 10 years and then Boston four years for the, the whole PhD thing and now we're back in Philly for now. Oh wow what was that experience like of like leaving Iowa and going to the big city that it's Philadelphia? It was very very like surprising and shocking I mean my brain my my brain was like 18 and supple so I think it was like ready to handle the change Uh, I don't know if like I could 
do something like that as a, a 34 year old. Like I think it would, um, they're really different. Like it's very odd for me to go back to Iowa because I just, my systems are kind of much more East Coast now. And I, I just, I don't, I don't, I feel like I'm just like at the wrong speed or pace or something for the Midwest. It takes a little bit. Take some time. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, we want to, uh, before we start asking all of the questions, we just want to say congratulations again on becoming um, a, a, being a part of like the brilliant group that is the five under 35, uh, <laughs> where when we heard the news, you know, to us, I know it broke in, in April, but going into May, it just felt like so perfect because four out of the five were all of Asian descent. So we were like, oh, that's how you start AAPI month right there. Yeah, that like, was yeah. good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Where, where were you when you heard the news that you, that you had won or that you had become one of the honorees? Well, so here I had, so here's the thing. I had um, COVID actually when they were trying to call me to tell me that I had won it. So I was like at home, I was very much at home <laughs> and I really had very bad brain fog. I was like very tired and had very bad, bad mental stuff. And so like when I got the call, I was just like, oh, something, I don't know, something's wrong. <laughs> like, what's going on? And then my editor was like, did you get any phone calls today? And then I, that's kind of what I was like, oh wait, it's like actually happening. <laughs> <laughs> you can only so, imagine like answering the phone and you're hearing that you're like, okay, I think this is a scam and just like hanging <laughs> up the phone. Let me go yeah. back to sleep. I didn't even pick it up. I, I like let it go to voicemail and I listened to voicemail and I was like, what? <laughs> And then I had to call them back. I tried to call them back and I was like, I'm sorry, I have COVID. Thank you. I'm so excited. I'm thank you. I have COVID. I'm sorry. And like, I'm not. <laughs> oh, goodness. How was the, the, I guess the dinner, the gala, the celebration that was yeah. in New York not too long ago? What was that like for you to be able to be with all of the honorees? I mean, I was just so thankful to be hanging out with them in person, to get to meet them in person. Like it felt just, you know, after the couple of years that we've had, it just like, it felt really special. Like it felt especially special because it was the first time they were doing it in person since the pandemic. And they had also the 2021 honorees there too, because they didn't get to have a celebration. So it felt like extra large. Um, it was outside. It was like on, there was like a roof deck. There was like an indoor area with masks and then an outdoor area. And it just felt very, it felt like un, unreal, I guess. I was like, oh, well, I can't believe this is my life. I can't believe I'm standing on this like roof deck with these like extremely glamorous like writers. And I'm, I'm not a glamorous, <laughs> I like to not feel very glamorous. <laughs> but I was really excited to, to see them. And my, my, um, my editor and my agent both got to be there too. And so we got to hang out as well. It's just like, anytime I get to like gather with people feels really special right now. I'm like, thankful, I'm just always very grateful for it. That's great. I really hope that you get the opportunity to, uh, you know, be there for the big night. I hope they're able to hold it. I know the last two have been, um, you know, through the uh, YouTube stream and, and whatnot, but I really hope that you get a chance to be in the room with everybody and celebrate. Oh yeah, the NBA with the National Book Awards. Yeah, I hope. I hope. Yeah, I'm, I hope the fall is going to be a, a new a new fall, a different fall <laughs> than it has been. <laughs> because it's long, 
very long overdue mm-hmm. yeah. so uh let's get right into this story shall we we want to know you know just why don't you give everyone a little bit of a synopsis and then let us lead us into what was the inspiration behind little rabbit as well as the title we're very curious right sure um so Little Rabbit is about a 30-something-year-old queer writer, she's bisexual, um, who meets this older male choreographer at a writing residency in Maine. Um, And when she first meets him, this happens kind of off screen of the book, but when she meets him, she thinks he's sort of like annoying, but they reconnect when um, he brings his dancers to do a show in Boston, Boston again. Um, And then they, and then she, she realizes she's attracted to him and she wants to sleep with him. And they start this like really intense sexual relationship. And it kind of explores, you know, patronage, like money, power, like what, what are the material circumstances that we need to make art um, and also like friendship. She has like a friend who's like very concerned about the relationship, her roommate, Annie, who um, Annie herself like comes from a wealthy background too. So there's all these kind of different things coming to play. Um, uh, and I got, I got the initial idea for writing about dance and dancers from, I went to a residency outside of New York city, um, in 2019 before the pandemic. Um, and there was a dancer there who had two of, there was a choreographer there who had two of his dancers there. And so he was making movement on the dancers and I don't really know. I didn't know anything about dance at that time. Like I never seen a lot of live dance um and I was like completely stunned like it's just such a different art form than writing it's really it's very special it's very ephemeral like watching videos of dance is not the same as like being in a room with dancers while they're working through things and making art with their bodies um and I was completely like taken I was just like I've done the wrong thing what am I doing being a writer with these words ah (laughs) (laughs) and also on the other hand like I'd always wanted to write a book where a woman like lusts after a man and doesn't like destroy her life where she's where sexuality is like the focus but it's her desire and like what she wants and what she's going for um like I wanted wanted the experience of like lusting for a man to be rendered really vividly in in a literary book um and I'd always wanted to do that and then when the dance part came in that then it just kind of made sense for me to like mingle them together. It's a lot about embodiment. It's a lot about the place where, you know, words don't work anymore, words start to fail. Like I'm really interested in this, in this space where the words we use to describe ourselves, to describe what's happening between us um, suddenly become insufficient, which is like a funny thing to be trying to write about, but that, that's what I want to try to do or to try to push myself to do. Um, the narrator is like unnamed throughout the book, um, except for um, he he kind of says he calls her little rabbit because she's like like a wild um, tenacious creature, um, and so um, I I knew I really wanted that to be the title of the book. Like I just I like had that phrase in my head, and I like just I like the way it looks. Like it's like a I think it's a beautiful phrase if you just look at it. So I like I knew immediately that would be the title. It's a perfect title. Uh, the cover is amazing. Um, and so, it's, so it's a very, y'all, if y'all have not read this book, it's a very <laughs> sexy book. Yes. This is a nice book to read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you have to be like in your own personal space, mm-hmm. kind of like 
having having your own like little candle slit maybe a cocktail yes because you know if somebody like if you ride a train or if, if you're at work and be like what you reading <laughs> and you kind of be like um you might be blushing in the middle <laughs> like, um when i finish it i'll give it to you but i can't talk about it right now <laughs> i'm in the middle of something right here <laughs> Yeah, I wonder about people's experiences reading it in public. <laughs> it's really uncomfortable when like people read it in front of me that I know. I'm like, please don't. It's, it's, it's very awkward. <laughs> so, um, having your your main character, as you said earlier, uh, they're they're nameless and um, not really given a description of race. And felt as it, it felt as if the reader themselves could step into the shoes and take on these experiences of what she was having as her own. Was that initially where you were going um, with this? Is that what you wanted people to, to feel when they were reading it? Yeah, I definitely want to feel very like deeply embedded in her consciousness that you're just like in it and you're not really there's not a lot of like seeing her from the outside um although she is half Asian and I, I at least I did make that kind of clear in the book um but I I wanted them to be kind of in this private space where you know he's also not named um until a certain point in the book he's the choreographer um and she's little rather there's all these different nicknames that her friends use and I wanted it to be um a book about kind of the their private dynamics that they're trying to figure out and work out together, like the names that they know each other by, um, without their kind of public selves coming in. Because it's, it's a book about the tension between the private and the public self a lot. Um, so she can't like really use her first name with him until she's ready to. Like, or it's, or well, I mean, he obviously knows her first name, but it's not going to come into the narrative until she's ready for to step out into public um, as this person or until they're integrated. Um, so that that was something that was really deliberate. And I was also thinking about the ways that her friends know her, like how they see her and that how that, how when you name something and you give it your own name, how that, um, how that kind of colors it in a different way that's not exactly seen um, by another person, if that makes sense. Yeah, it totally makes sense to to like to me with with a naming part because I know like you know like if you have a child you name them and it's kind of like the symbolic meaning to give a person. Mm -hmm. So I yeah. think it was really very interesting from like the very beginning. Like she she had different like almost names for different people, and it's kind of like the different meaning for for different people of who Little Rabbit was, right. and it's like very interesting on how like these people kind of use that like kind of power over over her and mm -hmm. then you know it made sense at the end for all of that to be kind of like shattered because she's like oh this is who I am now yeah that was that was really good oh thank you yeah I think it there's something really powerful about having someone be like I know you um but there's also something really frightening about that because like because like we can, we can know each other but there's always like sort of limits to to our knowing and so when someone says they know you they do know you but they also just know know a version of you and there's just there's just always like a little bit of distance um and i'm there's a little bit of like disconnect so, which I, I, it's what, what i'm really interested in and thinking about and thinking through in fiction what do you think about someone um that may deem literature like this 
when they might put it into a form of like, okay, this is literature. And then you have something versus that this is erotica. Like, how are you able to, or how are, how do you feel about how people are able to decipher which one goes into which box and what they feel is more literary than the other? Yeah, I like to challenge categories, I think. Um, I mean, I actually worked as an erotic ebook editor for a little bit, like I Moonlighted is one. So I'm like familiar with that genre. Um, and I, you know, the genre has like its, its set rules that's kind of, you know, replaying over and over again. At least that was my experience when I was working as an editor for it. Um, and in this book, I wanted to take those elements of genre and kind of play with them a little bit, which is what I think is like, uh, this is just me making up stuff, but this is what I think of as being what like makes it like quote unquote literary is like playing with those tropes in like kind of a self-conscious way a little bit. Um, I, I don't, when people kind of like are like, oh, I, like what, the back of my head is like, are people gonna be like, oh, it's sex, it's not serious. But then the other part of me is just like, well, why isn't sex serious? Like, mm -hmm. why do you think that? I wanna challenge that and push that as well, which is like a, a big project of the book is to um, kind of push on the assumption that, that sex is, like, especially, you know, women having sex or femmes having sex or like anyone that's not like Philip Roth having sex is not like, something that is like <laughs> worthy of like literature <laughs> you know I want to like really push that and challenge it and so like kind of second guess that that thought that I think gets like kind of put in us just kind of through the way that we're raised in culture you know um and to sort of center like the female gaze in this book which um, is so necessary especially when you're talking about sex right and, yeah yeah and and a book like this, I think it actually op helps one open themselves up if they they haven't quite discovered like what sex means to them. Right. And I think that this if this would be a good starter book, like you yeah. know, here you go, like really dig deep into what this person is going through and see how that relates to you. And you you did a remarkable job with that. And I think like for my for my like younger self, it's like something that you know, because I'm Asian, so it's kind of like a taboo to talk about anything about your body. Like, you're yeah. basically a rectangle that, like, bleeds, like, yeah. a month. Mm. And, like, you know, you can't even ask about, oh, what, you know, what happens when this? Or, like, how do you do this? It's like, we can't talk about it. Like, nobody talks about it. So it's kind of like, this is a book that I would, like, give to my younger self and be like, look, it's fine. It's okay to be curious and know about, you know, and ask about stuff. And it's okay to like feel certain type of way about if you see somebody or if you feel some sort of way, like in your body, it's fine because it's yeah. normal. Yeah, totally. I think I, I'm also Asian American. My parents are also very traditional. And I think I became very interested in sex and like writing about sex because it was such such a taboo subject growing up. Like I don't think my mother can even say the word sex still. <laughs> and she's like a medical doctor. It's like you know, <laughs> but like she deals with like bodies for a living, and she still kind of can't really talk talk about like bodies and anything but like a kind of medical context because um, it's. And I also had that experience, same experience of like, you're just like a floating brain. Like your brain is the most important part of you. That's sort of what I was kind of raised as. And, it's, uh, and it took a long time for me to kind of reconnect with my body and be like, there's actually like a lot of stuff happening 
outside of the brain that's like really important for like functioning just like being like intuition like um desire like all all of your all of my feelings I feel like are in my body and not like in my brain right right and and it takes like a while to develop that and like when me and Veronica were talking about like this book it's kind of just like you know learning how to like assert yourself or learning how like you want to control things or when it's like your limits like little things like that that would affect you that you should learn when you're like a young woman is not harnessed because we're told like we're just we're you know we're just a box that Mm -hmm. bleeds yeah completely like learning how to like listen to what your body actually wants and trusting it is something I feel like I, I was not really raised with and I feel like a lot of people I know is not, were not really raised with and which like took a lot of work to kind of get there and I feel like I'm still constantly working to be like wait what how am I feeling like what do I want like what's happening like it's I con- I have to constantly kind of check in with myself um and I, I, I want to write and talk about that like that's what I'm really interested in, in is that this sort of unlearning or relearning process so like we're talking about you know we owning one's sexuality whatever it may be it's not an easy process not all people can come to a fully sexualized self within the time that they're actively seeking for it um this is an eternal conflict it's very palpable in like rabbit's life right how important was it to highlight her desires and wants when seeking for pleasure um i'm thinking through the question so like like you mean highlighting her own like her her physical responses like yes um yeah I mean I thought that was like the primary point of the book like that's that was like what was really driving it was like wanting to look at like how she is reacting to things to the choreographer to his body versus like you know there's a lot of like I feel like when I was growing up the way I was sort of trained to experience sexuality was like oh does someone desire me then that incites the desire. But like, really it's like, oh, what incites desire in me? Like what, it, what is causing that for me to want to reach out for it versus being like, you know, turned on by, by turning someone else on. Um, and so I wanted to really kind of dismiss, get, kind of get away from that and, and show her desiring things without that kind of um, extra layer, extra consciousness, if that makes sense. Yeah, I just, <laughs> with with what you just said, it just makes a, a whole lot of sense in regards to like how one does see desire as an outside thing of how you're pleasing someone else and not, right. you know, wanting that thing for your, for yourself. Um, there is like this melding that happens when two people seem to come, become one and they pick up mannerisms and habits of one another. Will you speak about Rabbit in terms of this push and pull between both of these worlds with her and the and the choreographer, as well as, as her friend, uh, Annie? Right, well, you know, I'm interested in like the, the ways we're all kind of like separate, but we're also, how we also kind of contaminate each other in a way, if that makes sense. That sounds really negative, but like, <laughs> but I think of it as like kind of in a nice way that we we rub off on each other, we influence each other. Like I am one, I am not the same version of myself with one friend as I am with another because I am reflecting a little bit of that other person back to them. And it's the same with that. And I, 
I think that's just kind of like a nice thing about being a human person in relationships is that you're when you're with another person you're still separate you still have your kind of boundaries and you're distinct and there's like a, a there could be like a real loneliness which is something that I'm interested in. like um she says at one point like I realized that we're all just like bodies stumbling around alone, um, which is something I sometimes feel and I think is is something that a lot of people feel and is interesting. Um, but that also that there are these moments that where you can kind of break through and start creating something else with someone by like communicating with them or cooking with them or, you know, and sexuality is also like another way that we kind of break through these barriers of self. Um, and so I wanted to really write that and reflect that. And also, you know, you mentioned with Annie and the friends, like it's, she is a little bit of a different person with Annie and with the people that she was, that she knows from college than she is with the choreographer, just by virtue of like, it's a different kind of relationship. They have a different history. Like, this is my experience when I like see old friends I haven't seen in a long time. It's like another version of myself kind of comes out that I almost like forgot about. And so that's sort of what's happening with her. And it's, it's like, what do you do in all these different parts? Maybe you don't always like um, trust each other or coalesce with each other. Like, how do you negotiate that or figure out? Like, I, like I, I want to resist the idea that there was, that you have to like choose one discrete version of yourself and you're just that person all the time, <laughs> because I don't think that's like quite true. Um, and I, I want to like reflect that a little bit. Yeah, because like people are very quick to judge and be like, oh, you are very different, like in different spaces. And I'm, I was like, well, you can never really be the same with everybody because they're like, oh, you know, you're being you're not being truthful to who you are and like the people around you. But I'm kind of like, well, there are also different people around you. So you kind of have to adapt. And also like, you know, like what you said with like the friends and like um, the choreographer like you meet certain like I believe that you meet certain type of friends and people like you said in certain certain times of your life mm, right and, and then like you know if you all of a sudden meet that friend again like after like 10 years something that must have been like suppressed or repressed in like your brain comes out and you're kind of like oh there there she is she's still alive where yeah. it is and it's okay <laughs> You know, because people think that that's like, oh, I must, I must inhabit this new body. But I'm like, what does that really mean, inhabiting a new body? And that's what we also see with with Little Rabbit when she goes and she sees her friends from college, right? Because there's this shift that happens within her and things that are said to her about her being a a little woman. Uh, Now the homemaker and things like that. So there are seeing and projecting what they think that she has now become onto onto her right right totally um and she's aware of that as well and kind of trying to understand like does she believe that herself or is that something else that's coming and it's like I think part of it is also you know like I'm I'm a Buddhist so like I it's not exactly that I don't believe in, in in no self but it's like that like you're kind of creating yourself in dynamics with other people like all the time. Like, I don't know if you have this experience of like being in the in lockdown and, and not seeing a lot of other people. And then you're like, wait, who am I? <laughs> like trying to figure out who you are without like um, other people around you is like a little bit stranger and confusing because I think we all kind of do that. We all kind of um, like figure out our personalities 
our identities as we kind of go and as we're interacting with people. And like, I think even place like kind of determines my, my personality. Like I've been, I've been talking a lot of shit about Boston, but like there's something about being, <laughs> but there is something about being in Boston that I feel like, like as soon as I get off the train, my like, my brain kind of like turns on and I turn into a bit of more of a dork because it's like the train is for some reason dedicated to Michael Dukakis and like all these, <laughs> like it's a much dorkier city and so like I become a dorkier person kind of in response <laughs> you know I'm still a dork in Philadelphia but it's tamped down a little bit <laughs> you're cooler in Philly yeah, I hope so <laughs> it's a very cool city so I'm like always when I was in Boston there it's not gonna go well <laughs> Shout out, shout out to Boston and all their dorks. <laughs> also, the awesome um, Chinese food there, but <laughs> good Chinese food there. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that that is not a scam. <laughs> Quincy so, has great dim sum. I do love the yeah. Yes, <laughs> I can talk about food all day. Yeah. I digress. I'm so sorry. No, I love. Food. I can also talk about food all day. <laughs> going, going back to our other favorite person the choreographer um for me he was the catalyst that helped release this like newer version of rabbit um writing about his tendencies and preference when he was having sex can be very very particular how were you able to separate the choreographer's role as like a lover and like a partner in her life I think I was thinking about, again, that public-private self-split, like, so who he is as a lover, you know, is different than who he is in public, and I kind of try to make that clear at the end, like, there's this feeling of, like, you know, and I think he understands it, too, and that's, like, an important part of kink, is, like, understanding the kind of boundaries, like, around it, which he's very clear about, that he's, like, this is, like, a game, this is what happens under these sort of circumstances, it's not something that's, like, like, always like when we have like a dinner party it's not the same mm -hmm. or like um it doesn't mean that he's like dominating her life like he she still eats salami even though he's a vegan like things like that you know um so I was like kind of just thinking about like how when you put boundaries around certain experiences they can kind of go deeper and be more meaningful and like you can kind of you can kind of trust certain things when there are boundaries around it and that's what's happening kind of in their sexual relationship. You know, there's a clear boundary around the kink, around the subdom stuff. And so she can kind of like relax and it's, there's something empowering to it because, you know, to like give up power, she has to have in the first place. Like she has to be able to be like, no, like she has to be able to close the boundary down if necessary, um, which I think kind of makes for a, a unique experience for her. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you uh, talk about the, that feeling of control or the lack of it. Uh, we've all had an Annie in our lives, whether it be a lover, a family member, or a friend. And there's always a person who desires to have that control and be always knowing of other people's business. Yes. <laughs> if Rabbit was able to recognize that in time, do you think that the relationship that she had with Annie would be any different in the, in the end? And if you feel like this is a spoiler question, you can just answer it for us and we'll cut it out in post. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> we figure out how to, I'm going to try to figure out how to answer it. <laughs> I, just, I just really wanted to know. <laughs> but the, the end of the question was very vague because I was just like, hmm. I guess I can't really imagine things being different for them because like 
they had this dynamic so set up that like, you know, began when they were like 18 years old. Like, I think the only way for things to be able to be different for them is if Annie's able to kind of roll with a new dynamic, um, which this is a bit of a spoiler, but she has a hard time with, she has a hard time with rolling with a new dynamic. <laughs> it's not very strong <laughs> um, Because like, you know, there is this, this difference between needing to have words for something in order to trust it and being able to trust something without having words for it. That it's like kind of happening between them. Like Annie really needs the narrator to have like words to really kind of make um, what, what she's going through seem safe for Annie or for her to be able to understand it. And if she's unable to, even if she asks like, can you trust me? If she's unable to deliver the words, then Annie kind of just can't like handle it, you know. Um, and so that that sort of trust is is kind of important to be able to trust the change, even if you can't perfectly articulate it, or if you can trust another person if you can't perfectly articulate why. Like if you think about when you're like really falling for someone and you, you know you're falling in love and people are like, why? Like, why do you why this person? Like, and you're just like, oh, they have great shoes and I like their cat. Like, like you know, there's like something ineffable there that like isn't, that you can't really describe. You can't really like put into an app or put, put into a checklist. Um, and you kind of just have to be able to like trust that even if, even if you don't understand, like that the person understands, if that makes sense. Because, you know, I also have my moments of being no nosy and being like, what's going on in my right. friend's relationship? But then, you know, I always have to remind myself, like, I'm not in it, I have to trust. Like, I, I maybe don't know all the words, the ins and the outs, but that there's something kind of beyond my understanding that you sometimes have to give into. Right. Not to get really, I, that got very woo, but I'm a little bit woo, just as a heads up. <laughs> You are too. You're in safe space. Yes. <laughs> you can curse, woo, whatever you want to say here. Okay, great. Fantastic. Perfect. We accept. We yeah. accept all things. There is an encounter that Rabbit has with Rebecca, a woman that she met during her time in residency. She is shocked by the news of Rabbit and the choreographer dating because of their age. And mm -hmm. in Rabbit's case, her sexuality as well. Mm -hmm. Your response is so multi-layered. We want to speak about the sexuality part first because it is such a major part of the story. Talk to us about this urgency that characters show within the story by wanting so desperately for Rabbit to claim a side that would benefit them. Right. Well, you're talking about the moment Rebecca is like, I thought you were queer. Why are you dating a, a dude? <laughs> right? <laughs> like, who the fuck cares? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people definitely are just like, it's like, like you know people definitely are like oh like how how are you so queer if you're if you're dating a guy it's like well if you're bisexual like that part doesn't just like go away you know <laughs> it's just not maybe as as visible and I think it's again this I'm going back again to like what's articulable what's visible what's obvious like um and sometimes our need to like hold on to the things that are obvious or, or like in order to like we, we it has to be obvious or we're not going to trust it or it has to be really clear, we're not gonna trust it. And what Rabbit's going through and, and what I'm interested in is this point where like you can't see something, but you still have to trust it or it's important or it's it's still there. Like in this case, like her sexuality is still there even if she's with like a, a man, even if he's an older man, you know? And I'm like, interest, I'm just like interested in that like, 
like I mean like dynamic like dynamic of like how you're seen by people versus how you see yourself and and that distance um I mean that's just something that like I've experienced a lot in my life and it, it's it's very it can be very painful and difficult to articulate if that makes sense um yeah I I, I particularly like seeing people have those like brain meltdowns yeah. <laughs> when someone especially a celebrity comes out like Nisi Nash like not only does she say that she you know sees herself as this queer woman that now she is married like there was no relationship that anybody got to see progress from her you know um announcing this to the world it was like boom here it is and you take with what you want to do with it and you see all the people just be like but I thought I thought she wasn't she in a, a relationship with a man like I thought I thought and so seeing this happen within the story was so it was so good to read because you you sh it shows like how people have that struggle of uh wanting to pin somebody down to a particular thing and not letting them move no matter what it is that they're that they're claiming for themselves it also reminded me i don't know if you've seen sex in the city but there was a part where the main character uh, tells the editor of vogue that she is engaged to mr big who is much older mm. and she is like upset she becomes very upset like he's my age she doesn't yeah. understand like how this has happened so it kind of reminded me of that particular part of like with not only the sexuality of Little Rabbit, but also the age layer component of this moment happening, because I'm sure she's like, you know, he's my age. Mm -hmm. And I thought you were queer. Like, what is what's going on? So like, it doesn't add up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just it disorders her world a little bit. She's like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. It's also like kind of playing a little bit with like some of the judgments that like we come through in that really in that sort of relationship of like, oh, like she must be subservient in some like she like you know, and that's like a dynamic of the book is that like there's a lot of people making those assumptions, and it's like, well, what's her? What's really happening with her? Like, what is her experience? Like, that's what I was interested in. Um, yeah. And I also think it kind of serves like if you're a reader it also kind of serves like this like mirror like to look at yourself if you're one of those people that are easy to judge other people yeah. just because it doesn't fit in your category or boxes in your head mm, so yeah. it kind of puts a different perspective into like oh why did I not consider rabbit's feelings or why did I not look at rabbit first before like my own judgment it's kind of like it's really her life so whatever she chooses to tell you or allow you to be inside of her like space or in her head you should just be thankful that she's allowing you to do it but yeah. you know as a reader or, or, or as like an outsider it's easy for us to be like oh that doesn't make sense because it doesn't make sense in what I what's in my head mm. my preconceived notions yeah totally it's like oh sorry did you oh no I was just getting ready to praise your book again I was gonna say this oh. is what makes the book so good because it really talks to you about what um what boundaries you are able to create for yourself in regards to what you want people to know and where you want them to be in, mm -hmm. in relationship to your life yeah yeah totally thank you yeah that's something I was thinking about and I wanted to to convey as well you know it's like and it's true. It's like, you know, I think we all kind of go through, we, can, we all go through the world and we're like looking at things and we're like, 
we're like making judgments about things. We're like, oh, this is this is this is a cat, and I know what cats do, and this is a dog, and I know what dogs do. Just to like use a really like kind of elementary example, but like you know, and I think it happens with people also, and that we kind of end up falling back on those notions without realizing it a lot, um, and that um, and that like our our brains get like a little a little lazy with being like, oh, like I think I know this situation because I'm perceiving it and I'm filling in the blanks with my brain. And I wanted to write something that would like push, push that would be like, okay, you're seeing this, you're filling in the blanks in your brain, but now I'm just gonna like put you in her perspective and immerse you in it and like probably maybe challenge those assumptions. Um, because I think that's like what fiction can really do that like other kind of art forms can. You know, I'm like, I, I, I'm saying like, you know, words fail. I wish I was a dancer. Like why, why am I just like a, a hobgoblin in my inbox all day, <laughs> like, <I'm>, you know, <laughs> but like fiction is really good at like immersing you in another, another consciousness or a different consciousness. And that's what I wanted to do with this book was to like create a consciousness that you're just inside of. Um, even if you are seeing it in a different way, like you might be seeing it in a different way, but you know, she's telling you you're in, you're in her point of view. So speaking of, you know, people permission and points of view and things like that um I want to pivot over to the to the parents um so rarely when I think about introducing like my newest love interest do I think of you know if my friends will like them or not it's usually if my parent will like them um and so when the choreographer was first mentioned to Rabbit's mom I know I held my breath because I didn't know what she was gonna say (laughs) and what her response would be do you feel like her relationship with her parents and revealing this news was easier than when it was revealed to Annie that she was in this relationship I mean I think if she had her way she would have maybe not revealed it to like anyone (laughs) at least she takes a really long time to tell her parents (laughs) Um, and Annie's unavoidable because she lives with Annie Right. <laughs> um, but I think it was harder for her to tell Annie than her parents because, you know, her her parents, I, I wanted to show them as like trusting people. Like her mother even is like, is, her mother's like, I'm freaked out by this, but like, I trust you. Like, I just want you to be happy. Um, like I, I didn't want the kink stuff to be pathologized back to family stuff. And so I knew that her family was just going to be really cute. And like we'd be really, you know, and like be like good parents and stuff. Um, it's been like, and they're also like these these nice feminists, feminist academics who shop at like the co-op in Mount Airy, and I, I knew exactly who they were. <laughs> um, so like, I knew that she would maybe not like love being able to tell her parents, but her parents are not going to like cut her off for this relationship. Like her parents, she, I think she knows that instinctively that there's not going to be any kind of retribution from her parents um, based off of what she decides, because that's kind of the the people they are. Um, Versus with like, you know, her friends, it's a little more difficult, especially because like friendship is like a different, it's a funny relationship. You know, it's like, it's like the only relationship that's like kind of purely voluntary that we have in our lives. You know, it's not a familiar relationship. It's not like a coworker. Um, there's not the element of like sexual desire that's like in a romantic relationship or like a co- like with a co-parent who have children. Like a friend, a friends are just hanging out because you like you want to be together, um, which is very special. But it does make it, I think, more t- 
it's a more tenuous relationship than I think we acknowledge um, in our culture. Oh yeah, yeah. You really have to like that person for it to for 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 you to call it a friend, right? Yeah. You know. So I I guess that's where Annie's coming from, and I think more. You know, you got to read the book where <laughs> she she claims this like ownership of like this feeling and this this knowledge of like hold up like I thought I knew you and I thought like we've talked about this it's kind of like we've had a powerpoint presentation about this and your feelings since we were 18 why <laughs> no, are yeah you, completely <laughs> why are you deviating away from the plan rabbit yeah. kind of like that and it's like that was what was really like um annoying me about her like Annie and I'm like that's when I knew like Alyssa did a good job because I'm getting annoyed at Annie <laughs> feeling it <laughs> I was stuck in a corner and I just want to like I just want to shake her and I'm like wake up like I'm, I'm a human being not your project mm. yeah and I think what's happening with Annie it's like you know we think about the way you kind of form your identities with your friends especially when you're like really young like and, you know, they're both writers, they're both queer women. Like, I think they have really formed their relationship in conversation with each other, mm. um, you know, kind of defining themselves like with and against each other. They even, even in the ways they kind of define themselves as writers, there's like, oh, like Rabbit's the experimental one and Annie is kind of like the more, seems to be going after more commercial success in some way. Um, and when you have a relationship where you're, you're so, you, we're so close and you're, identified so strongly with each other if like one person starts to shift it it changes the way the other person thinks of themselves too um and that's I think what's happening with Annie is that like she can't she kind of needs um the narrator stay the same person in order for in order for her own identity kind of to kind of stay stable mm -hmm. and when that starts to change it just like kind of it, it's very upsetting to her it's it's not just a threat to like her friend, her friendship, but to her, I thought to her understanding of herself as well. That's why when, when you guys read this book, give Annie some grace. You hear yeah. <laughs> Give her some grace. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you say to people trying to find their identity amidst all the distractions, influence, and exposures that they're getting in, in their day-to-day -day life? I don't even know if I can give advice on that it's such a hard thing <laughs> right I don't know I mean I haven't even I don't think I even have totally I mean I definitely not totally figured it out it's something like I think I think identity is pretty it's more fluid than I think we yes acknowledge and it's just really like you know different like sometimes I think about you know being Asian American like there's some things I really strong like that like resonate with me really strongly that I see in culture about uh, in Asian American culture and some other things that don't feel like they apply to me and so then I, I have to like kind of be like it's okay you don't have to identify with everything <laughs> like there's like um it's also fluid and there's just there's so many parts and I think having like compassion I think for yourself as you're figuring out is um something that's really been helpful for me and uh, is I think my main suggestion that's like you're figuring out it's okay it's all okay yeah I think that that really is it because you know like you said it's fluid it's it's ever changing on the way that you see yourself that the way that you see yourself today in 2022 will be totally different five years from now totally yeah. different 
and 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 can't nobody tell me any different because I'm old enough to know that at almost 43 that I was thinking and was somebody else 10 years ago right last year so you know those things are forever changing but when you get to a place where you're confident in knowing like accepting that it's ever changing and that this is who you want to be in the moment and letting people know this is what's up then it's like you found your your sense I guess of identity then right yeah I think it's like a comfort in not knowing some things is, is also really important I keep talking about this too but like kind of trusting even when you don't totally understand something yeah um if your kind of gut and your intuition is 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 going with it is helpful hopefully it's, it's i mean that's been helpful for me um and just you know and yeah it's i mean i don't even remember who i was three months ago i feel like <laughs> you know <laughs> especially now like who i am is just like like i like even just trying to remember like remembering what 2019 was like remembering what 2020 was like i can't even you know. <laughs> we're under a fog <laughs> totally <laughs> like it feels like it was yesterday but also feels like ten thousand years ago like and that person i was seems really confusing to me like you know so we're coming to a close in our conversation um where we like to always ask every single guest of ours uh, a very special question and that is we want to know uh either what is your top five favorite books of all time or what are the top five books that you're really excited about that you want people to know? Oh, can I do a mix? Sure. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, you know, even though I have like answers to this question prepared, I, I always forget it. <laughs> like I've like written it down. I should just have a tattoo to my wrist. But... <laughs> and we always like to remind our listeners that, you know, whatever you say, it's not set in stone, that everyone yes. like this whole conversation you yeah. are able to change at any point. Cause like the moment that the Zoom conversation is done, you're like, why did I forget about this book? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I think if you go to the electric lit staff's like bookshop page, I think I had to make a list at some point of books. <laughs> that I really like. <laughs> um, so yeah, you can go there <laughs> to check against what I'm saying right now. Um, some like books that have been really influential to me um, that I like to like revisit, like Bluettes by Maggie Nelson. That's like one I, I go back to a lot. Um, How Should a Person Be by Sheila Hetty. Um, I'm really excited about Bliss Montage um, by Ling Ma. It's a short story collection that's coming out in September. Um, there's other stuff that's forthcoming, but I, my brain is suddenly deleting. Like, it's a little bit my job to like look ahead at, at what's happening in publishing. And, but when I get asked, I just like, immediately forget. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, not again. <laughs> Why do I keep doing this? Like, I spent all day looking at spreadsheets. Um, <laughs> um, you know, James Salter, not, not, a, not the perfect person, but I really love A Sport and a Pastime. I think it's like a beautifully written and also totally weird book which is a very odd book if really if you get down to the nitty-gritty of it it's um yeah it's all about like kind of a, a, a one guy's fantasies about another guy's sex life just <laughs> very um surprising um I also really liked um this book by Karen Dalen uh, Revenge of the Scapegoat from Dorothy the Dorothy Project which is also like um a book that's split between Philadelphia and New England so 
identify with that. <laughs> how often do you, are you reading, especially in regards to your job? Like how often are you like immersed inside of a book? Um, for my job, I'm not so much immersed inside of a book. It's like I'm reading just like, I'm, I feel like sometimes like I'm reading 30 pages of every book that's about to come out, <laughs> which is how they, which is also kind of why they blur together a little bit. It's because it's like just literally just reading 30 pages of every literary book that's about to come out in the next three months. <laughs> um, and so sometimes like a whole year, like I'll look at like all the books that have been published in a year and I'll be like, I've read 30 pages of all of you, but like I haven't gotten a chance to finish you because it's like my, my brain gets tired. So sometimes I find myself like for fun reading, just like trying to pick like older, older books. Cause I'm like, I don't have to decide if, I'm going to cover you for, for my job <laughs> because you're Henry James, you're dead. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. But, yeah. but I guess that's kind of fun, but also you're right. It's kind of like exhausting because it's you're basically immersed in like books and books and books and books and yeah. having to tell people like, this is what you should read and this is probably what you should avoid. And Yeah, you have to like really kind of develop a gut instinct. Um, which I thought I had one before I started this job. And then I was like, well, my, my gut is, is flabby. I got to work it out a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alyssa, thank you so very much for talking with us tonight about your book. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Is there anything forthcoming that you want people to know about? So um, I did another thing for Electric Literature. Some covers are coming your way. If you want to check that out. Um, and then I'm kind of like, uh, uh, for some reason, if you're on like this tiny island off the coast of Connecticut called Fisher's Island, I'm going to do a reading there, but I don't think a lot of people, there's not a lot of people on that island. <laughs> but you never know. It is the internet. It's vast and wide, you know? All right. So if you're on Fisher's Island on June 30th, I'll be doing <laughs> by the library. Um, <laughs> And I think, and um, I'm doing another event in Philly at the end of July um, with some other writers. And then, um, and then I think I'm kind of going quiet a little bit in August um, and then more stuff will happen in, in September. So yeah. So if I go quiet, if I, if I go quiet on the internet it's, and if I don't respond to something, it's, I'm sorry. I just get, I get overwhelmed by social media very frequently. That's, I like, I love it when people reach out and tell me that they love my book and then I get so overwhelmed by how grateful I am that I tend not to reply. <laughs> but I'm reading, I'm so grateful. I just don't know. I'm like, I've become like that awkward kid in the corner of the room. I guess you replying in your head. Yes. Yeah. I just like, I hold the phone. I go, thank you. And I just like say it to the phone, but that's not <laughs> usually like enough. <laughs> time I thought it was just me because I do that like my friends are like it's been a week what what are we like you haven't said anything to me and I'm like I reply in my head and I think I've done it I'm so sorry yeah I do that so much it's so I feel so bad I'm so sorry <laughs> it's just really it's overwhelming the internet there's too much of it it's a lot it's and, a lot. and especially you know you're already in another electric literature so it's always constant stimulation you see a lot of things more than I feel like the average person so yes she she'll get back to you in her own time she's grateful 
keep reading her book and her work in electric literature yeah <laughs> yeah and I'm, if i don't message you with words i'm doing it in, into the universe thank yeah. you thank you so much <laughs> Well, Alyssa, thank you so very much. You are more than welcome to come back anytime. We are grateful that you were able to come share this space with us tonight. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Yes, thank you. Please always keep writing those articles in electric literature because I think I first met you when you wrote your um, Minari piece. Like, oh, that, yeah. That I, loved, I loved working on that. And I'm like, oh my God, she makes totally perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> and then um jasmine chan mentioned you like as one of her like uh in her in her top five in her top five. Oh my god <laughs> that she's uh she's like i just read this book it's called little rabbit oh my god i love jasmine i love her book too oh my god her book kept me up all night like i like came i came downstairs and i was like ah <laughs> 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 robot children <laughs> yes. yeah that's the yeah, that book will send you through it definitely for sure very yeah. much yeah it's great yeah. she have uh, who knows who knows where she grabbed that story from but uh yeah so thank you again you have a good rest of your your night and uh and the rest of your what's left of your week Right. Thank you so much. Yeah. And if people want to tell me if Invisalign is a scam, I would really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye. Good night. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let us explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast and listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. <laughs>